Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Body Wisdom Podcast, where we discuss the mind-body connection and its relationship with health and well-being. My name is Tammy Bulmash, and I'm very excited to welcome our next guest, Claire Maxwell. Claire Maxwell is a dancer, movement educator, and choreographer based in New York City. After a long career in experimental dance, she completed her training in the Alexander Technique at ACAT New York City and certified with Jessica Wolf in the Art of Breathing. Claire now teaches workshops in the USA and abroad and has re recently developed a new form of awareness and movement called Mobilinement, in which she is beginning to train others. Claire is also the founder of a new Alexander Technique organization supporting the development of individual innovation and diversity in the Alexander Technique profession called the Alexander Technique Experimenters Union. She is dedicated to helping her students support satisfying, sustainable careers doing what they love without injury and burnout. Hi, Claire, and welcome to our show. Thanks. It's an honor. This is some great podcasts. Oh, thank you. Well, I have been wanting to have you on the show since we started. I admire your work so much. You have actually started teaching online long before teaching online was even something that Alexander Technique teachers did. You uh, did this long ago, and I have watched your work. I've admired your work. Um, most notably, how relatable you made the Alexander Technique. I'm really interested in reaching people who don't necessarily know that much about the work. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of our internal community conversations can be so esoteric. Yes. And so I got a lot of help. What I um, feel is so important in our work is that we're not working in isolation. We, we can learn more about our work through working um, more collegially and peer to peer. Yeah. You, you made it effortless. You go to your website and it's, it's, it's just the essence of the technique. It flows. It just makes sense. And I really admire that about you. I think it's an invaluable tool for Alexander Technique teachers to be able to go online and teach, especially during the pandemic. And what would you say to people who are a little bit nervous about going in and teaching online like you have? I would say get together with a colleague. Play. Mm -hmm. try things. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of why I developed the Experimenters Union. Not so much because I'm enthusiastic about teaching online, mm -hmm. um, but because I'm an artist or I'm an artist uh, by my early life. And so necessity is the mother of invention. We make something out of nothing. So if we have a difficult circumstance, why shouldn't we use Alexander principles to deal with the stimulus and See if we can um, change something in ourselves in terms of how we're responding. I think that's a really excellent point that you made about using that stimulus. Like right now, our stimulus really is just a lot of us are being forced to be at home. We have to respond to being at home all the time. And I think that keeping in line with Alexander, it's kind of like making, you know, lemonade out of lemons. And that's what you've done. It's you've created an opportunity right. for teachers through the experimenters union to be able to still continue teaching. And, and it like, that's going to lead me to my next question about what you've invented mobile alignment. But, um, I, I would love to talk a little bit more about the, the dreadfulness of the pandemic though, because yes. I think, yeah, you know, I think, um, not only are Alexander teachers suffering, 
but so is everyone. Yes. And everyone, there's no way for people right now to connect with each other, except for through this instrument in a lot of cases, even families, um, work situations, other kinds of therapy that people do to stay sane. Um, all of that is happening through this, uh, through this computer. Mm -hmm. And I just think we have so much to offer, Tammy. Just for you, for instance, right now to look at me, to see me, to see the computer, to see the space behind the computer, to, to remember that you have a body that's outside the frame of the computer. You and I might take that kind of skill for granted, but other people don't have, they don't realize they can do those things. And they're so simple. Yes, absolutely. No, that's a great, great point. A very valid point. And I, I think that that's part of why it's, I think you're very successful at what you do because you've taken that next step and made it accessible rather than like a lot of teachers, including myself, I think um, we just say, oh, well, you know, I know in my, my mind, it's like, well, I just want to teach in person. And I think they're a big part of it is I'm just afraid <laughs> of going online, you know, and uh, doing that. But there is so much invaluable information and tools that I think can be given through this online platform. I know because I, I have the reading class that I do with Barrett Arkaya, and that has just been tremendous uh, for me to do that and so yeah and when you're doing that reading class do you because I know some people um the the stimulus of the computer can be more distressing than other people right if you have certain systemic vulnerabilities so in that class do you allow yourself to look away from the computer do you give yourself a chance to not be just locked into it when you guys are I have to say that um with Barrett's class for me, it's a great opportunity to send directions. Like that's something that I really think about is it's, I get to know that that time is going to be time that I'm very much an Alexander Technique student. And so I look forward to being that. But what you've done, and, and um, I want to get to the questions, is you've created a whole other way of looking at the online experience. I mean, the dimensions, the layers that are there. It's not just a screen. And I think it's very easy to just say, I'm looking at a screen, but there is so much more there. So Claire, I wanted to share with our viewers and our listeners what you've created, this thing called mobile could you share with them what, what that is and how, how you came about it? Absolutely, I can. Um, I think I'll say a little bit about what it is before I tell the story, because yes. the story could get long, depending. So basically what it is, is it's um, several layers of awareness practice. So when we teach the Alexander Technique, uh, we're used to using touch and we're used to bringing people's attention to themselves. And when I was teaching groups, uh, a lot of groups I taught at an acting conservatory, I started to notice that um, as I got to know my students better, the more I was experimenting with different ways to bring their attention to their bodies, I noticed that the simple act of that movement of attention towards self caused them to stiffen. And I got really curious about that. So the first layer of mobile alignment is just playing with fluidity of attention. It's not about posture. It's not about your body. It's not about feeling anything in particular. 
It's just about noticing that your attention can move. So that's what the, the six touchstones are, is that first layer. Mm -hmm. Then we start playing with bringing the attention to specific parts of your body. And in the first layer of practices, um, I, have, I have to say I'm a very syncretic teacher. I, I borrow a lot from all of our brilliant colleagues because I think this work is, although some of it is original, it is really a collective research project. Yes. So there's a teacher named Mio Morales. He was actually teaching online probably before I was. Um, certainly without hands before I was. And he has this uh, work that he does around ease. And I kind of thought, I really liked it, but I also thought, how could I make less of a big deal about this ease stuff? Everybody can feel whether they have a little bit of ease somewhere. Everybody knows if they're getting tenser or easier. Everybody has an easometer. Mm -hmm. Isometer, love it. <laughs> I call it the isometer. So, and just saying that made me feel a little better because I did like Mio, like Mio teaches. I did start to notice the parts that feel easy, like my feet on the floor, or you know. And so, if you have that, then the student is empowered to start to notice the relationship between if their attention where their attention is, if, it's, if they've got habits of paying attention, like they get stuck or, or they can't pay attention at all, they can't focus at all, you know, or they just are completely forgetting themselves. There's all kinds of forms of habits of paying attention that are really gonna affect how we can communicate online. So that's the first layer. The second layer, is these, uh, a whole bunch of points that I picked um, for very specific reasons. So uh, they had to do with my history in the DART work and working with Alex and Joan Murray. Mm -hmm. So for all of those people out there that don't know who these people are, it, in, to us it really matters because their names are important because people should know about them. But so the traditional way of mapping the body in the Alexander world was the bones. Right? Some of that actually was taken in to the Alexander community from the dance community, I have to say. <laughs> so the Alexander community borrowed from other embodiment practices yes. as well. Uh, but we had a preference for that. And I started to think about that because the bones don't have a lot of nerve endings and you can't really feel them. Whereas the developmental movement work is built on looking at the architecture of the 43 segmented spine and, and the structure that we evolved out of as kind of worms and spines and then growing limbs. And so it's really built more on the central nervous system. So the central nervous system, for those who don't know, is composed of your brain and the spinal cord and the uh, nerves enervate everything that happens in your body. Some of that is autonomic, meaning that you're not consciously doing anything about it, it just goes on. And some of that is conscious, like the musculature is, you can consciously go like this, you know? Um, so the central nervous system is incredibly complex. 
I needed to simplify it. <laughs> and so I just decided to memorize it. I memorized all the cranial nerves. There's 12 cranial nerves and all of the spinal nerves. And I realized I couldn't memorize all of their functions because I, I don't have time to get a PhD <laughs> and go to medical school. So I just decided to memorize the dermatomes, which are the areas of skin on our surface and how those particular areas of skin, for instance, the skin on my face is enervated by a nerve that um, comes from my brain. The skin on my neck and actually my hands and most of my arms is enervated by nerves that come out of the, the spine in the forward curve of the neck. And I just got interested in that because it was important to DART um, it was important to the developmental movement people because this is how we know ourselves through contact on different parts of our body. And that contact is how we initially uh, organize ourselves in relationship to the ground and how we use all these parts to, to eventually, if we have a bipedal system, if we don't have a disability of some kind, we end up standing on two feet. But in order to do that, we had to use all the surfaces of our body at first to get up. Mm -hmm. And so DART was just really interested in that process. So the mobilization points are specific points that link a part of your dermato a dermatome with a, a bony landmark underneath. Wow. And I think they stimulate certain parts of our nervous system so if you, if you travel through all of them, you've kind of woken up your whole body in a certain way. And that's an Alexandrian thing, right? Yes, that's wonderful. To that's wake brilliant. up the whole self, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, but the whole self has a lot of parts. Yes. So if you travel through them, um, chances are you'll, you'll be in better shape than you were before. So... And the second thing about them is that they can be integrated with other styles of movement and teaching. So they are not an aesthetic. They're not even really a style of teaching the Alexander technique. They're simply a way of paying attention to yourself that seems to elicit more fluidity and ease in my experience and that of my students. So like I said, I didn't do it alone. I've had a lot of feedback because I didn't believe it myself. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, was like... I don't think Alexander <laughs> believed it himself what he was doing. I think when you're kind of the person who creates something until it's applied or somebody else tries it themselves, it's hard to, to see its efficacy, right? That's right. You, know, you really never know until you connect with somebody else yes. and see how it works. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful. I, I wanted to also talk about um, the article that you wrote where you mentioned, you mentioned mobile alignment and the six touchstones, which I want to get to. Um, and I think that what mobile alignment is and offers is something that could help so many people right now who are working from home, who are learning from home, who are just, even if they're not working, they're spending a lot of time at home, probably sitting in front of some kind of screen for a large part of the day. You wrote an article for our Body Wisdom publication called Zoom Burnout is Teaching Us That 
learning is not possible without embodiment. It is not only a timely piece, it's really a must read for anyone who is working from home or spending a lot of time online these days. And what inspired you to write this piece? Well, so when the pandemic got started, I knew I could help because I had already been teaching online. So I started doing these webinars for all kinds of educators because I knew it was going to be tough. So I did webinars for music teachers. I did webinars for dance, not, not Alexander. We started with the Alexander people, but then we did music, dance, poetry, playwrights, all kinds of people were teaching online. And I really tried to listen to what they were saying and what their problems were. And it really occurred to me that um, especially arts teachers have always known that learning is embodied, that people need to feel safe. They need to know what's around them. They need to bond with the group in order to really be honest in the learning environment. And they knew that they were having trouble doing that in this separated environment. And in the experimenters union, we had discovered that we could do all of that online. So I wanted to share with them. Um, but the truth about education is most teachers who are teaching you know, public school, even at the university level, I did one for English teachers at um, King's Community College. They actually don't know that because as, what, as much as people in the arts do. And so they didn't realize that including a body means you stop when you're burned out. You look away. It, they didn't know that to let students move a little bit every 15 minutes would actually help them pay attention for longer. And they're under so much pressure, especially public school teachers to cram certain amounts of in information into very short time. So I just, I know what public school is like and I know that the kids don't have as much time to really be fully embodied as they could use. And I felt it was an opportunity to point this out because this is an opening. Everything has fallen apart, things need to change and this is an opening for us to maybe use that crack to make some needed um, alterations, I would say. That's wonderful. So I figured if we could reach more teachers, then they could take that back into the classroom when we all return, which we will. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you know, it reminds me a little bit, this need to kind of remember to take time for ourselves. It reminds me of when people work in an office job and they have vacation, but they don't want to take vacation days. And, you know, the employer forces them to take vacation days because in order for you to even do a good job at your job, you have to have a break. You can't just keep working nonstop and expect to thrive in what you do. And our body, in that sense, is an example of that. You know, we have to take breaks. Yeah, but you know, it's funny because we also like to keep doing whatever it is that we're doing. So once you get doing something, it's really hard to stop. Right, right. right and the, right. the whole Alexander practice of stopping, you know, just stopping. Mm -hmm. Stop what you're doing for a second. Oh, it's so great. It's so powerful. Yes. We really, we really could be helping people right now. And so 
I sometimes think that our standards for what we do are so high that we're missing opportunities to really help people. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do know what you mean. Wanting to do it the Alexandrian way. And then it's not being able to kind of steer in a different direction, even if it's still in line because of the Alexandrian. I am very familiar with that <laughs> personally. Well, it's just to meet people where they are yes. because yes. I have found that the more I welcome people in in this way, then they get curious about what the Alexander technique is and they go find out more. Yes. And then they get drawn into our wonderful esoteric world um, from their own curiosity, from their own passion, instead of us working so hard to try to convince them about, about something. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what leads students to want to train in the first place is that curiosity, not being told, you know, or, or given a sermon <laughs> about what, why AT is so great. How it works. How it works. Yeah, well, you've done, that's what you've done. It seems effortless. I know it wasn't because of all the work that you put into it, but uh, I think that you do that seamlessly with mobile alignment and with dance is how you've just created this fluidity into the technique. It's a, just a nice a nice way in, a nice path to take to, to kind of be introduced to it. Um, I wanted to also talk a little bit about your article. Uh, you wrote something that, that I really enjoyed. You wrote, mirrors lie, and so do computer cameras. Both flatten your perception of self and the world. I'm not even talking about body image or how one feels emotionally about oneself. I'm talking about body schema or one's sense of physical volume and the size of different interrelated body parts. Claire, could you explain what you meant by saying that both mirrors and computers lie? Yes, and you know, I have to admit that, that I knew you wanted to ask me that question. And so I actually did a little bit of research because on a scientific level, I don't actually, that wasn't really what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I was just talking about the experience of training as a young dancer, for instance, mm -hmm. and for years, constantly referring to the image of myself in the mirror and not really on what I was feeling mm -hmm. and not really putting those two things together. Mm -hmm. So the image got preference. And I noticed that that happens to me on the computer as well. Mm -hmm. When I first started really teaching on the computer, I could almost feel my body flattening itself to the screen. It was a very odd and disconcerting feeling. Um, so they rob us of our dimensionality, right? Our volume. So if you and I right now just um, maybe even tune into the sensation of the back of our body, the back of your feet, your legs, you know, your ribs, your head, the back of your arms. It just changes things. Yeah, it breathes and life. Is it breathing a little life in for you? Yeah, it, I think it does. That's what I think the magic of the technique is, is that it breathes life into parts that we're normally not paying attention to or unaware of. Yeah. And I'm also looking at you a little differently. And so as I'm looking at your body on the screen, you look more dimensional to me, even though I don't have much depth in perception because you don't have all the crap behind you that I do. <laughs> but I'm seeing more the, the, the volume of your body and the light hitting different parts of you. And I mean, and so even though I know this, 
when you asked the question, I was very pulled into the screen and now I've, I've changed that a little bit. So it's just something we can play with. It's not something to feel bad about, but the stimulus is very, very powerful. The other thing that, that I learned about mirrors was they can't show you movement. And so what they do is they preference shape over movement. You move and you lose the image and then you come back to it, but you don't really know what that movement looks like. You can't really experience yourself in movement. You can sort of on a video camera, but even then you're not, it's not the same. It's like, it's like a painting on the wall, you know? Right. And painters have done so much to explore what can they do to create the illusion of depth or to play with figure and ground? So why not do that with our bodies and how we perceive our bodies? It's, it's, uh, it's so interesting how we've evolved this way to be in front of a screen and how we have like this in real life experience and this on life experience. The technique is so much about living that in real life experience of activity, being mobile in activity, being fluid in activity. And this, I think, in a way is, is really a good thing for the Alexander Technique community because it's forcing us to be more more aware to to really live what we do in 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 every way to you know even walk, on screen that's even right on screen yeah i agree with you it's not enough to say that being online sucks <laughs> what can we do about it right we can help right what can we do absolutely and you're doing that absolutely i wanted to also talk to you a little bit more about body schema because that's a term that i don't think everyone is familiar with um and i love that word I, I really do. So could you explain it um, in, in, in the sense of what you meant by one sense of physical volume and interrelated body parts? Absolutely. Sure, Tammy. So um, body schema is the map of your body that your, is, is created in your brain throughout your life. And so... Um, some of that map is stable. So in other words, your, your body map knows you have a head. It knows you have a torso. It knows you have a right leg and a left leg. It knows you have a right arm and it knows you have a left arm. It also knows how long this little tiny piece of your little finger is. If you think about it, it knows that. You don't have to think about that most of the time but when you pick up a, a glass to take a sip of water, for instance, you're using that map. So it's the map that you use to relate your body to other stuff and move it around. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, body mapping is also, um, I guess, drawn from this notion of body schema. Um, which was a term I wasn't even familiar with because uh, I trained overseas and I never heard of the term body mapping. But once I discovered it, I just loved it. I loved it. Um, it I think it's just such a, a, I think it's an easier way to also explain what AT is in, in sort of simpler terms, just through a body map. So. Yes. And you can just discover a lot about how somebody conceives of their body. We make assumptions that when we say the word neck, that we're actually 
that we have a common understanding. But when you get into that, you find out, oh, different people have different ideas about what that what that means. I happen don't happen to believe that there is a correct conception. I guess as you grow up or you develop, your lens changes of what you see. So a child might draw a stick figure and have just a stick for a neck. And maybe by the age of 10 or 12, then it becomes a bit more two or three dimensional. And then you can go on and become a sculpture. And then the neck becomes a completely different thing, you know? And so it's art. It's like art mirroring life and life mirroring art. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's under continual development, Yes. right? It's yes. continually adapting. And so we do know, I believe, um, that, you know, for instance, when you touch someone, when you wrap your hand around their limb-like cloth, we do know that that simple three-dimensional contact helps a person locate their body in space. And so for, uh, for instance, for a person with, with Parkinson's, like uh, who Candace, you just did an interview with Candace, was doing all that brilliant work with um, those people, that yeah. that helped give them enough information that they can organize themselves to move again, where without that contact, they couldn't do it, right? right. Because of the, the way the disorder affects them. So I have to cite Judy Stern for this um, putting together for myself of the body schema with the kinesthetic sense. So one day I'm in an anatomy class and somebody says, what is kinesthesia, Judy? And she says, well, you know where your big toe is right now and you don't have to look at it. You just know where it is. And I was like, oh my God, that's true. And it really hit me because I realized that that was a sense that dancers do develop very consciously, that they have to know where a part of their body is that they're not looking at. And they, they probably develop it very highly. And that versions of the Alexander technique that are taught in the dance community really use that a lot. So it's not just a body map. It's a very specific use of my femur. The tip of my femur is over there. My elbow is over there. And really knowing specifically where those parts are. And in certain parts of the dance world, there were choreographies constructed where you, you line up a part of your body with an imaginary grid in the space. So you're extending your body schema and connecting it to the world schema, if that makes any sense. Yes, that's wonderful. What I think happened to me as a young dancer was that looking in the mirror gave me a very distorted, flattened sense of myself which I don't understand the neurophysiology of how that turned into anorexia. But after 10 years of serious dance training, I thought I was fat and I wasn't. I had no, my my body schema was very flat. My sense of myself was that I should be flat. And then I would see myself and I wasn't flat. And I I just really was confused and that was starting to affect my movement. And I'm sure that that had to do some with all the injuries that I acquired over my dance career. So I'm concerned that so many people are now looking in the screen more. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so sorry, my phone. 
should have turned that no, off. That's okay. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think also with what's happening now with like platform, social media, these young people uh, with their bodies distortion, you see plastic surgery and all these young, young, young people. And I, and I think it's part of this distortion, spending so much time in this flat. It's like yeah, becoming just, caricatures or cartoons, you know, where yeah. the eyes have to be so big and the lips have to be so big. And there's, um, I think that that's really in line with what you're talking about, this, this sense of distortion. And I think it makes a lot of sense that the screen, all the screen time is having some kind of impact on that. I think so, because also there's this natural impulse, especially when you're young, right? To construct yourself, mm -hmm. to construct your self image. And so if you're constantly having it reflected back to you, that's going to make its way into, you're gonna use that as a feedback loop for constructing your self image. So thank God I had movement as well as the mirror. Like I was moving more than I was looking in the mirror. Right. So I am really concerned about that. And I think we have to face it because I don't think that being on screen is going away no. anytime soon. And I don't think everybody should be teaching online, but I think we have so much that we could offer to help people with this problem. Yeah. I really do. Well, yes. And I think your experimenters union is a great a tool for many teachers. Um, I think it's wonderful. I hope to be able to participate when the time is right. I, I'm very much interested in it. So, oh, anybody's welcome to come and visit for a couple of weeks, and um, we may have a we may have a holiday party that I'll uh, announce. So, that sounds great. Wonderful. You're welcome to come. Thank yeah. you. So before we leave, Claire, I wanted to ask you um, if you could just share with our viewers and listeners a bit about the six touchstones that you mentioned earlier. Sure. Um, we can do them pretty quickly. So they're, I call them a prequel to the Alexander Technique or preschool, kind of. <laughs> And I was actually told by a business coach that I shouldn't use that term because it wouldn't be a good selling point, <laughs> but I, I still think it's fun. So attention can move, right? So if you and I sit here right now and we actually consciously fix our attention, just do it for a split second. Can you feel what that does in your body? Yes, it tightens. You can, it tightens. Everything tightens, affects the breath. So. I think our attention, and when I say attention, I don't mean any one sense. I mean the unified experience of all of our sense organs, okay? So it's designed to have movement in it, um, just like we're designed to be in movement um, physically. Even if we're sitting, we're still moving. Mm -hmm. So the first attention touchstone is to let your attention wander, which is very un-Alexandrian. Very much. <laughs> Just try it for a second, because in a way, I think it's a little different than what he meant by that. It's a conscious decision to let, to give up trying to control your attention and let it move a little bit. I noticed that when I'm doing that in my interpretation of wander, I'm wandering with my body. So I'm not so much wandering with a distracted thought, but rather I'm wandering and I'm wandering with my shoulders. And so it kind of creates more awareness in that wonderment, if you will, you know, kind of going and exploring. 
Yeah, because when you're when you're letting your attention wander, um, you know, you get you get stimulated by things, you get interested in things, and that's natural. So I can listen to you very um, fully and pay attention to something else. I can focus my vision on you and still experience a lot of other stuff that's going on, including that simple spatial pleasure of knowing, oh, there's my tailbone moving. I know where it is, I can hear her. And it's all happening at the same time. It's just incredibly miraculous. Mm -hmm. So you can take that particular touchstone and do all kinds of things with it but I'd like to keep it really simple. So attention wandering. So the second one, well, they don't really go in order, but the next two would be either softening your attention towards yourself. So just try that for a second and I'll try it too. So it doesn't mean I shut you out. It just means that I'm softening towards myself. And of course, you can kind of find your surface, right? Which is three-dimensional and that can be very beneficial, right? But you can, you can find out a lot. So for instance, I would check in and I would say, so what's that like for you? Because it's so different. Right, well, the softening I think is a release. It's letting go and it's allowing me to be, be more present in my whole mind body. I can see that. <laughs> Somehow I just started to feel the top of your head more or the top of my head more. It's so weird, the mirror neurons, how they, you mm -hmm. know, I feel a little more grounded now. Yes. So, but you might get a very different answer from a different person if you're teaching. So you have to find out. And that's almost like putting a hand on someone. So you use the touchstone and then you find out how they're experiencing it. And you have to, you have to take that in. So you can soften your attention towards yourself. And because our imagination is so rich, you can even go inside. So this is what you need for the artists and the people who go inside for imagery and emotion and feeling, you can go inside. And what's that like? And you find out. Or you can move your attention softly out. And I started using this word softly because I noticed people go, okay, now my attention is out. Now my attention is in, you know what I mean? So it's a movement of attention. So if you do that now, if you just let it go, you know, maybe a little bit outside your, your parapersonal space, you might notice all different kinds of things, but you can just see, maybe it makes you a little less easy at first. Um, I find that the minute people start feeling less easy though, they start trying to solve the problem. <laughs> they start looking for ease. You don't even have to tell them to. So what was that one like for you? For me, this experience is more about really becoming more aware of the space that I'm in. So this one, um, I don't know if it's just because of, of, of this process, uh, but I'm really aware of, of being in this space. So me being a part of the space, me not being the only one that's taking up the space, but that there's space here besides me. Right. And so, and you can measure, oh, there's so much distance between me and that wall. Mm -hmm. Right. And how does that feel in your body? Does it feel I, like, uh, like I own it more, like more ownership of my body, which wow. I have some more support. So, yeah. 
interesting. So more spacious, more yes. ownership. So yes. those are emotional, those are emotional feelings. And people, of course, want to try to feel that way when they're presenting themselves on the screen. Um, <laughs> but we know in the Alexander world that often when you try to do something directly, you end up making it happen with effort and it doesn't really work anyway. Right, right. Right? That's so these are indirect processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the third one is the isometer. So we already kind of touched on it, which is that you actually had some different sensations. I think that you used more language that was a little easier when you softened towards yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but they both had qualities of ease, mm -hmm. right? Um, so with the isometer, you actually ask people to specifically get curious. So it's a subset of bringing your attention towards yourself. So you okay, I'm going to bring my attention towards myself and I'm going to get curious. So kind of with no agenda as to where there's some ease there. Mm -hmm. So it's a way of going in or towards yourself. And so what do you find there? I'm finding more ease in my neck, which is really great, which, um, I really oh, I'm jealous. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. That's that's a really really tough one um, because I think that we're so I'm so used to the tension in the neck that, like many habits, they start to feel familiar and normal. And so, I think that this process, this um, awareness through these steps that I've taken so far, is just really enabling me to become much more aware at this specific moment and having you kind of guide me through this. I'm noticing where I'm holding and I'm noticing that my neck seems to be more free than other parts. <laughs> but I'm recognizing yeah, more. Right. Holding. So you start kind of come. Yes. Yeah. You sort of compare, mm -hmm. right? So um, the way I recently heard Mio Morales put this is that we have to have habit is the ocean that we're swimming in all the time. And so we have to have some way of stepping out of the ocean, you know, to have a new experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so for me, before I get too esoteric about it, <laughs> I think everybody can relate to the movement of their attention, yes. right? And just getting curious. So for a lot of people looking for ease in their body is, would not be their first choice when they bring their attention to themselves. Mm -hmm. They, they might feel the pain, they might feel the discomfort, they might have emotional responses to what they look like on the screen and feel like they don't want to see it. You have to check in and see what's happening. Right. But everybody has an isometer, mm -hmm. and I want to empower people to move more towards the ease. You know? Yeah. So uh, those are the first three. Isometer. Oh, no, those are four. Isometer towards self, away from self, that's two. See, I have real trouble counting. It's amazing I codified anything because I'm so <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately creative. And the wandering. Yes. So wandering attention. You know, just to, to kind of comment on the last one, when you mentioned about uh, sometimes people find where they're holding tension, it's in line with what Alexander, you know, 
the Alexandrian way, which is, you know, in order to know what to do, first learn what not to do, right? So you first have to learn what you want to stop doing. And so um, I, I only mentioned the freedom of the neck because I was aware of, I was holding in my lower back. I was, I was holding in my hip joints. I was sensing all that holding there. And somehow the direction of going up allowed my neck to be free, which is kind of like the, the head goes up and the spine follows up. But I should mention the other parts that it wasn't just like, oh, you know, easy neck, you know, that's not, it's again, a process. That's right. It's a process. And the ease kind of moves around. It doesn't really stay in one place. Right. So, but you've just given me a really great opening for the last two, oh, good. which are subsets of what is not you, right? So. If you get curious about where up is, it's not necessarily a feeling in the body. It's just a knowing that there is an up mm -hmm. above you. you. You know about that up in a lot of ways that aren't just visual, although you could, you could look up there <laughs> to see it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so just to be on screen and realize, oh, there's something above me, you know, is very helpful. Yes. And then, of course, its partner, if you can guess, would, if we're in preschool, what would its partner be? Down, of course. Yeah, down. <laughs> the ground. Yes. So the ground is there, and you know it's there, and you can feel it, and you're moving in relationship to it. And I might even hazard a guess, Tammy, if you get your feet on the ground, mm -hmm. that um, you can play a little bit with the ground by sending it to the left and sending it to the right. It will move your body. If you move the ground, your body will move. I love it. That's wonderful. Yeah. So if you move, if you send the floor back, your body goes forward. If you send the floor that way forward, your body goes back. So there's this relationship, right? That you're swimming in all the time. That's so delicious. Yeah. And we don't do that online because we get, right? So when you start saying, oh, it's okay to do that, people really don't realize that they've stopped themselves moving online. And then the last one, is 360 degrees horizon. So all around you and kind of more out, right? Out into the side. So there's up and down and then there's all around. And like, this is not unique. I've heard language like this from other Alexander teachers. So like I said, this is a collective effort, but I've tried to put these things into a simple, rememberable form so that I could connect with online educators and um, empower them, you know, to do one workshop and go away with a few tools that they'll be able to remember when they're doing all the other complex stuff, you know, that, that teachers do. Right. Or, yeah. It's so complex. Wonderful. These touchstones are absolutely brilliant. I love this. I'm going to have to watch our podcast again and practice this again. Uh, this was just wonderful. Um, and it's, it's so simple. I think it's just you need to be reminded of it. And it's, 
much more effective, I think, if there's a guide. And I think that the the guidance is so important. While you can do this on your own, I think that part of having like a teacher, instructor, guide is that it holds you accountable. That's the thing is that it really, you know, I can't always hold myself accountable because I get pulled in so many different directions. And when you make that commitment to work with someone like a teacher or in a class, you become accountable. And that's where the, the real change happens. Yes, and they make a container for you so that you don't have to do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can really find out so much more in that container about yourself when you don't have to play both roles. So I'm all for self-responsibility because this work really is about that, mm -hmm. about realizing that we can do something mm -hmm. for ourselves to mm -hmm. improve our situation no matter what is going on. You know, but we all need support. We all need a container yeah. so we can be free and really explore. And that's what we do as teachers. And we could be doing it in this space as well, you know? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And I do. I do it. I do dance classes. I've trained two teachers in mobile alignment, um, one of whom is an Alexander teacher and one who, of who is not. Oh, Wow. She's a yoga teacher, but now she really wants to train as an Alexander. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's great. So there's no conflict. And that's also partly why I created a different name for it, because yeah. I think we can access the same stuff with it. But the touch um, is such a rich right. um, and distinct practice. So I don't have any problem with those two practices being coexistent, distinct, and I think that we could help each other, uh, you know, people Absolutely. who practice both. Yeah. Right. We'll Absolutely. find out more about how this thing works. It's amazing. And that's another thing I admire about you is that you do make that distinction. You don't try to, to say to, to students or people that this is what the Alexander technique is. You just say this is one aspect of what I can offer you in an online experience. And there's also the in-person touch experience with a, a chair, table, whatever you do in a lesson, um, you know, that's different. And I think that that's really important because for people who hopefully after the pandemic, after the pandemic, <laughs> there will be go, an after. There, uh, yes, you know, we can go back and then people can say, okay, so now I know that I have this option. You know, not everybody can find a teacher, you know, where they are. There aren't teachers everywhere. So they might only have the option. So I would rather someone have some kind of an experience with the technique that's a positive one with an experienced teacher that has been certified and to have that rich body awareness and body education, mind-body connection experience, then have nothing, you know, where they just continue to experience pain. Even if it's, you know, not in person, it's something very valuable nonetheless. I couldn't agree more. Um, and people have been giving lessons online for that reason for quite a few years, probably maybe five to seven years. But I do think part of why I also wanted to do the union is that I don't trust my own sense and I do believe in peer-to-peer -peer feedback mm -hmm. yes. as opposed to studying with master teachers it's a different thing um, I think we feel freer to be um, ourselves when we're not in a master teacher environment so we can find out more about how we teach as individuals 
And so we get better at teaching online and we can help each other get better at it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have found with my mobile alignment trainee who is not an Alexander teacher, why shouldn't she be learning some, some of these concepts and sharing them with her yoga students? She's not using her hands. Why shouldn't I be sharing the work with her? She probably was taught to use her hands a little bit as a yoga teacher, but not in the same way. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people that need the help. I think a lot of Alexander teachers will now be teaching. Many more of them will be teaching online. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be easier to find someone that you could really um, enjoy working with that would be a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. So I hope that this helps the work get out in a much broader um, spectrum than it has before because I think it's really time for that. Absolutely. Well, I think you would be a great person for people who are interested to, to get in touch with because you know a lot about this. You've lived it. You've done it. Um, and I love the sense of community you've created. That's something that I also wanted to create with the podcast and publication is to get the teachers working together. I, I do think that there's absolutely a place for master teachers in the sense where what I am able to learn from that dynamic is something that brings me back to my training. Every time I meet a master teacher, I, I, yes. I feel like a pupil again. And, and I find that experience, but I do see what you're saying where it's a bit intimidating to have that same kind of openness that, that you can have with, with colleagues who are not master teachers. Uh, it's just different. It's a different experience. It's different. That's right. That the, the working with the master teacher who's just been doing it for so much longer, Mm -hmm. they can give you so much more subtlety. They can give you so much. Mm -hmm. And of course, because you've been working for a certain amount of time, you can also absorb what they're giving. Mm -hmm. So that that back and forth between someone who's further along is so incredible. Mm -hmm. I just found that there was something a little more, a little different about the peer to peer. Absolutely. um, I love it. Feedback that was helpful. And so so I started doing masterminds as well. Mm -hmm. So if there are people out there who um, want to make this a part of their practice, whether they're actually Alexander teachers or other kinds of body workers I'm working with too, because I really want to get this work Mm -hmm. spread out. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing that as well. And there's a few spots left in the January one. Um, but I'll keep doing them. So if anybody's curious about that, you can contact me as well. Wonderful, Claire. Thank you so, so much. It has been wonderful, eye-opening, and just absolutely fabulous fabulous having you here today. Uh, is there anything you want to share? Any last nuggets of wisdom you want to give our viewers and listeners? Well, I just want to acknowledge you for what you're doing. I love your curiosity. Thank you for your thoroughness in getting to know the work of the people that you're bringing forth. It's a tremendous service, not just to our community, but to people who need the work so they can find us. And um, I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. Uh, It has been wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm blushing. (laughs) Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much. Good. (laughs) Peace and love.